my daughter has been taking uh, American Sign Language in, uh, in college, and I thought maybe she could come up and say uh, John 316 in, uh, in ASL, also known as American Sign Language. You can go ahead and take your mask off so we could see the expressions on your face too. One of the things I learned through Eliana is that in ASL you can't just like sign, your face actually has to express what you're saying for that to actually make sense for people who are uh, listening to you in ASL. So we have, uh, can we have John 316 behind us? And uh, you could try to see if you could uh, connect it to the verse and uh, the signs that, uh, that she's making. I, I have to confess, I am giving Luke an extra challenge today. He has to manage uh, the sound. He has to manage Zoom people online, and I'm also asking him to project things on the screen. Okay, go ahead, Eliana. All right, thank you, Eliana. I don't know if we have a McDonald gift certificate still for uh, saying verses, that should count. Um, yeah, we have uh, before us a passage where uh, the Lord will be using a sign or a picture uh, to communicate uh, something, and so I thought that would be, this could be a good introduction uh, to that. Uh, often when we have presentations, uh, we, or give talks, I should say, we will actually have pictures on the screen to, uh, to help communicate what we're saying. And uh, we will see that uh, today done by Jesus. He has already done many signs uh, during his ministry. We've really come to the end of his ministry. Uh, this is the last week of Jesus. Uh, I believe this is uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday of the, uh, what's sometimes called the Holy Week, uh, where he will be crucified on Friday and uh, be raised on Sunday. So we're really coming down to the end. And as I said, he had already done signs, and that would be mostly miracles of healing. Right? He's been healing people. He walked on water. Uh, he calmed the storm. Uh, he fed the multitude with, uh, with uh, the loaves, a few loaves of, uh, of a boy, boy's lunch. Uh, so he has done signs, and they've generally communicated certain aspects of his ministry. The fact that he came to, to heal, uh, to, to help, uh, to give us uh, peace, to give us joy. Uh, so, but today we see a very different sign. For the first time, we will see Jesus actually using death death as a sign. And so we want to pay attention to that. So with that introduction, uh, you could turn to Matthew 21. We're hoping to cover verses 18 through 22, but I'll start by just reading verses 18 and 19, uh, because that really forms the bulk of our first thoughts. And then I'll read the last two verses uh, before uh, finishing the passage or finishing the message. Okay, now in the morning, as he, Jesus, returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing, nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately, the fig tree withered away. Now, this passage has been uh, somewhat controversial uh, because people have used it 
to argue against Jesus being God. They said, well, if Jesus is God, how come he was hungry? If Jesus was God, why did he have to come to the tree and look for figs before finding out there were no figs? If Jesus is God, why did he curse the tree and kill it? Right? All of these things uh, are problematic to us until we consider that they're not inconsistent with uh, the character of God as, as revealed in Scripture. A uh, good example of that is Genesis chapter uh, 2 and 3. Uh, we see God making Adam and Eve. Why did God make Adam and Eve if he needs nothing? Why even make the world if God needs nothing? And the answer is God desired to have a relationship with us. He didn't need us, right? He was complete in himself, but there was still something God wanted, and he wanted to create uh, people, men and women in his image, and to have a relationship with them. That is the God we, uh, we worship. It's a God who, who is uh, personally interested in each and every one of us. Uh, after Adam and Eve, ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God told them not to, uh, they hid themselves. And God came into the garden and said, where are you? Why does God <laughs> have to say, where are you? He knew where Adam and Eve were, right? But he still, he, he, he showed them uh, his desire of finding them, right? He still, he still, uh, was searching for them, and in a sense, he searches for each and every one of us. We are all lost. We are like sheep who have gone astray, and yet God is interested in having a relationship with us. And so he goes seeking for us. He knows where we are, but he still needs to bring us to himself. Uh, finally, uh, God also curses uh, the snake in the, uh, in the garden, right? The snake... Uh, has to, before that point, apparently was able to walk. Now he had to crawl on the ground. And of course, we know the snake was a picture of Satan himself. Uh, he uh, curses, you could say, the woman that she would now suffer in childbearing as a consequence of, uh, of the sin, man's sin against God. And he curses the man. The man now has to, uh, to work for his living, right? He has to bring bread out of the ground by the sweat of his brow. He cursed the ground. The ground was going to bring out thorns. Uh, and now all these things we understand God did for a purpose. And the purpose was actually to bring us back to himself. Uh, in Romans 8, uh, verse 19, it says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, and that is speaking of the cursing, the fact that God cursed the physical creation, not willingly, we didn't want it, we don't enjoy it, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God had a hope when he subjected this world to the curse because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. God's desire was to restore Adam and Eve to himself. He showed them 
that as a consequence of the rebellion against him, nothing was going to go right anymore. They were going to suffer. And we know eventually our suffering extends all the way into an eternity in hell. But God didn't want that to happen, and so he was showing them this is what happens when you refuse to follow me. All these things are going to go wrong. Right? It was, if you would, a picture or a visual display of the consequence of sin and man's separation from God, with the ultimate desire of bringing man back to God. And we'll see it's the same with the Lord Jesus as he curses the tree here. It's really with the intention of turning people back to himself. Uh, I thought, I, I did something like this uh, maybe a few years back. Uh, we talked about fasting, and I wanted to uh, see if uh, people knew their Bible and could uh, come up with uh, the particular event in the Bible pictured in this display. And these were all displays that God has done to communicate things uh, to the nation of Israel. Maybe you could put the first one, Luke, so people don't wonder what it is that I'm talking about. All right, so yeah, that's, that's the first one. And these were all things that God used in the Bible to communicate a truth uh, about himself, about us. Uh, I just have three of them. I confess that they're somewhat difficult, so please don't feel bad if you're like, what's that all about? Uh, I'm just giving you an opportunity to kind of scratch your, your brains a little bit this morning and see if you can figure out where it's from, and then we'll talk about it just briefly. So anyone has a thought of what this might represent? Well, it could be redemption or purchasing somebody on the slave market. Okay, but it is a particular person whose name is given in the Bible. But that's, that's very close. Very good. And who is the one who's buying her? Hosea. Hosea. And, and what's, what's his relationship to Gomer? Right. Well, actually, she already is his wife at this point. Right? She, uh, God directed uh, Hosea to marry a prostitute. Uh, and he wanted her to, to just be his. But she kept going back uh, to the trade and he had to purchase her again. <laughs> and uh, it was a picture, really, of our sin, Israel's sin against God. Israel was, in a sense, the prostitute who wouldn't stay true to her husband, to God. And God had to keep redeeming her back to himself, right? That's a picture of redemption, picture of Israel's sin, perhaps, also. Okay, what's the next one? I have to say, unfortunately, it just gets more difficult. <laughs> Actually, this one's probably the most difficult. The next one might be a little bit easier. So I have a, my opportunity for a water break while you guys are figuring it out. Okay, it's an old man, right? <coughs> What's notable about this old man? What's unusual about him? Kind of the obvious, the elephant in the room. He's naked, right? He has something covering where he absolutely has to cover, but it's clear that otherwise he's naked. He was a prophet. That helps you. A prophet who was naked. Eliana. Very good. 
I'll give you your five bucks later. <laughs> she, yeah, it is Isaiah, and uh, he was commanded by God to go naked for three years. Three years, he had to walk around naked. <clears throat> Anybody remembers why? It was to picture God's judgment. Actually, specifically, God's judgment on the Egyptian. The Assyrian Empire was going to come and, uh, and uh, take Egypt into captivity, and they would be walking naked, right? They, uh, to the shame of Egypt. And it was actually a rebuke to Israel because Israel, or Judah, were trusting in Egypt instead of in, in God. And they trusted that Egypt would protect them from Assyria. And Isaiah was like, you know what? Egypt can't even protect themselves, let alone protect you. Right? So it was really a picture of God's judgment of Egypt, but also that of Israel. Okay, the last one. Maybe a little bit easier than Isaiah. It is another prophet. Very good. Yeah, that's a commonality. All three were prophets. Okay, Eliana? Is it Ezekiel? Why do you ask that? Okay. And when, when did Ezekiel do that? Right. Yeah, he was in captivity. Very good. It is Ezekiel. And uh, God asked Ezekiel to portray the siege of Jerusalem. So he and uh, others of Israel have already been exiled. They're in Babylon. They're uh, hundreds of miles away. And they don't know what's exactly happening in, in Jerusalem. And may, many of them are thinking, hey, things are going to get better. And we're going to get to go back. And God is like, you just don't understand, you know, the seriousness of the scene of Jerusalem. And I have to judge Jerusalem, and I'm going to show it to you. And believe it or not, Ezekiel had to do this for a year, a whole year, while Egypt was under uh, siege. He had to play act everything that was going to happen, uh, including the food. He had to eat the same food the people in Egypt were eating. Um, and eventually his wife dies, and he's not even allowed to, allowed to mourn for his wife. Right? because of the, the fact there was nobody there to mourn for, for those who were slain. So, yeah, it just uh, shows again that God has used this in the past, this whole you know, visual display that Jesus is showing here as he curses the fig tree uh, is not unique to the scripture. It's just one more tool that God has in his arsenal of communicating important spiritual truth. And it's interesting, in all these three, uh, really speaks about the sin uh, of man and God's judgment. Those are the messages that people do not like. They don't want to hear about their sin. They don't want to hear about God's judgment. And so God has to go out of his way to pull out these tools to try to communicate the seriousness of our sin and the seriousness of his judgment against our sin just because we're, we're so unwilling to listen. Okay, so back to the passage of today. I have one more uh, picture there, and uh, that is the, the fig tree. Uh, so Jesus, we, we uh, 
we saw, went to this fig tree, and uh, he came looking for figs. Those are figs. Uh, they look uh, lovely, tasty. Uh, I have a fig tree in front of my house. When the fruit that turns purple, it's good to eat, <laughs> and it's very sweet. And uh, I could understand the attraction uh, that would have held. Obviously, Jesus knew uh, that there were no figs, but it was a, a picture of his interest in, in really in us people, right? We are what he desired. Uh, Israel is what he desired. If you remember, the context is Jesus had the previous day, or maybe the day before that, presented himself to Israel as Israel's Messiah. Right? He came into the city riding on a donkey, and he was the promised Messiah, and they were his promised people. Right? They should have been his. They should have received him as their uh, Lord and King and Savior, and yet they did not. They rejected him. And uh, that's pictured by the fact that there were only leaves when Jesus came. There were no fruits on the tree. All he could see were leaves. Uh, some have uh, suggested that the leaves uh, without fruit are a picture of Israel's false profession. Uh, the fig tree was professing, if you would, to be a healthy tree, a fruit-bearing tree, by having these leaves, uh, but uh, it had no fruit. Uh, Israel, uh, Jesus said, uh, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Israel had the profession. They had the temple in Jerusalem. They would go and worship. Uh, some estimate that up to a million Jews uh, came every year to Jerusalem on the Passover to uh, worship God in the temple, to offer the lamb. Um, and so they were professing to love God. But the reality was they did not want God to rule over them. And that was shown most uh, uh, practically by the fact that Jesus came in as God's Messiah, as God promised Messiah, with all the signs that he did showing he was really God's Messiah. And when he came in, they said no. Right? We don't want you. Right? You're not the kind of Messiah that we want. We will not you know, uh, obey this man. Right? We won't let this man rule over us. They were not interested uh, in the Lord Jesus. Uh, today, people might do the same. They might profess a love to Jesus, uh, but Jesus say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say. That is still the practical test. Does a person really love the Lord Jesus? You will know it because he will keep his commandments. And uh, for a person to say, oh, I love the Lord Jesus, but not to do what Jesus says, uh, is like this fig tree with leaves, but with no fruit. There's no reality uh, behind their profession. Now, Jesus proceeds to curse the tree. You could Move to the next picture, Luke. And uh, we're told uh, that the tree uh, uh, immediately uh, withered away. And so it became uh, as a dead tree. And there's uh, different opinions as to how to interpret this. Uh, some, and not without reason, would uh, say that the fig tree is a picture of the nation of Israel and that Jesus... Cursing the fig tree is really a, uh, 
a judgment on the nation of Israel, which is fulfilled in a number of ways, one of which is Israel's destruction about 40 years later. The temple will be destroyed, the city would be leveled. Uh, some estimate up to a million people uh, were killed during that war, and uh, Israel was exiled from the land for 2,000 years. They just came back uh, to Israel uh, in the past century. Uh, it could be a picture of, of God's spiritual judgment of Israel. They were the mainstay of God's uh, work, God's, God's focus on his uh, work uh, on the earth was through the nation of Israel, and that changed after Israel's rejection of Christ. He was going to make a new people to himself, and that is the church. Uh, it's, it's been called the times of the Gentiles, where God is, in a sense, put Israel on a shelf while he focuses his work on bringing in the Gentiles until all the Gentiles are come in. Now, I have to confess, when I started preparing for this message, that's what I thought would be the main application of Jesus cursing the tree, but it, it just doesn't fit quite right, right? And probably the main problem is Jesus says, let no fruit grow on you ever again. So my conclusion was, if that's the nation of Israel, we shouldn't expect Israel to ever recover. And Israel shouldn't be bearing fruit anymore after you know, some period of time after Jesus said it. And that doesn't quite fit with the scriptures. In Romans 11, for example, Paul, when he finishes this long section of dealing with the nation of Israel and explaining how God has effectively judged the nation of Israel and, uh, and now is working uh, in, in uh, bringing the Gentiles to himself, this is kind of near the end of that section. Paul says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. So there's two things here that don't quite fit with the picture of the fig tree, and that is that God is still gathering people out of the nation of Israel. That's why I'm here today, right? He's still doing it. It is a blindness in part, right? Israel hasn't been completely blocked off. There's still a remnant that God is 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 maintaining out of the nation of Israel that is saved and that, that um, enjoys this, uh, God is enjoying th that fruitfulness, if you would, of the nation of Israel uh, still. And there's a promise that one day God will restore all of Israel to himself. Right? So I think we have to be a little bit careful in how we picture the fig tree. Clearly, it represented Israel in its rejection of the Lord Jesus, but we cannot apply it to the point of saying that God is done with the nation of Israel because that does not fit with the rest of Scripture. What then? Well, I would say it is a picture of death and the consequence of all those who were to reject Jesus, which certainly included the majority of the nation Israel at that time. It's a picture of uh, many verses in the Bible that talk about the fact there is no salvation apart from Christ. He has come and he offered himself 
to them as the Savior, and, uh, and by their rejection of him, they were condemning themselves to death. Uh, Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other way. If you say no to Jesus, you are condemning yourself. There is no other way to be saved. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're all uh, deserving of death. We're all sinners. It's not Jesus that condemns us to death. It's really our own sins that separate us from God. But in Jesus, God is offering us all the gift of eternal life. Only through Jesus. 1 John 5, uh, 11 and 12 perhaps says it the most clearly. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his dead fig tree. Uh, this was springtime. Okay, the Passover is at springtime. The hills of Jerusalem, uh, near Jerusalem, would have been green. Uh, there would be trees all around, probably among them uh, many live uh, uh, fig trees. And, uh, and yet there's going to be a dead fig tree in the midst of them. Uh, this was a pathway probably a lot of people took every day, and every day they would pass by this dead fig tree. What is it doing here? Well, it's the fig tree that the Lord Jesus cursed. Uh, perhaps from the very walls of Jerusalem, you could look at the hill and say, what's that brown or gray spot in the middle of this green field? Oh, it's the tree that Jesus cursed. I would be surprised if that tree sat there for many years as a reminder of what Jesus did. Uh, until perhaps when Jerusalem was raised by the Romans 40 years later, they, you know, a Roman soldier might have used it for firewood, not knowing what it was for, but there was a reminder uh, of Jesus' warning, the consequence of rejecting uh, Jesus was there to be seen. It was his visual display for the nation of Israel. We praise the Lord that uh, this is not uh, the last visual display that uh, Jesus had for the nation of Israel. Uh, we have uh, another one. I think this one everybody will get. Look if you could uh, put it up for us. Sorry for having you multitask on so many levels today. Oh, okay. This is an easy one, I promise. Right, very good, yeah. And uh, now we, we, we realize the crucifixion wasn't just an act, right? Jesus really died. And in his death, he really paid for our sins. Uh, but he, he made it uh, incredibly uh, visible. Uh, it was uh, the Passover, as I said. You had uh, perhaps up to a million Jews gathering around Jerusalem. There was the cross uh, within sight of Jerusalem's 
uh, walls. Uh, in Romans 3, it says, speaks of this event as God setting Jesus forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at his, the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who had faith in Jesus. Theoretically, right, God could have dealt with our sin by Jesus dying for them in a cave where nobody would have ever seen anything. Theoretically, he could have done that. But no, he did it in the most public possible way where the most people possibly uh, would see. The nation, the one nation on the earth that was prepared for this event, uh, that's where God wanted it to be seen, that there his son was offered as the propitiation for our sins. What happened to my sins? What grounds do I have to think that I can ever stand before a holy God? It was there that Jesus paid for my sins so that I don't have to pay for them and I can receive the gift of eternal life. God displayed it for all to see. Next one should also be fairly easy. What is, what is this a picture of? I'm sorry? Resurrection, very good. Yeah, so this is a picture from inside the tomb. Now, obviously, these are artist renditions. We don't know what it really looked like. Um, but yeah, Jesus didn't remain dead. He rose from, from the dead. And again, it could have been done in secret. So we, we, we understand the resurrection really happened. We understand it really is crucial for our salvation because in Jesus' resurrection, he raises us up from the dead as well. But again, could have been done in secret. Uh, why was the stone rolled away? Was it for Jesus to get out? No, Jesus did not need the stone to be rolled away to get out. It was rolled away so people could come in and see that the Lord was gone. Right? It was a sign of the resurrection, God's visual display of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead or that uh, I uh, can have the hope of eternal life because Jesus rose from the dead. Right, so praise the Lord. He didn't stop with a dead tree on the road to Jerusalem. He kept on going uh, with the full plan of salvation uh, for us. Okay, let's go ahead and finish up the passage with, uh, with the, last, um, the last portion. Uh, so this is back to Matthew 21. In verse 20, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Uh, so the disciples marvel that the fig tree withered, and I can't help but, you know, wondering at the marveling, right? Uh, 
it doesn't seem like a greater miracle uh, to me than healing someone. Uh, certainly not a greater miracle than raising someone from the dead, walking on water, coming a storm. Uh, Jesus has demonstrated the power of God in multiple ways. Granted, it is the first time he demonstrated it by, uh, by actually killing something. Uh, but certainly this was not outside of God's power to perform. And it's almost like Jesus is trying to say, uh, you know, this isn't as wonderful as you think it is, right? The, this power uh, is accessible, uh, is available for you. Uh, if you uh, have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, you can do the same thing. Effectively, what Jesus was saying to them, but also if you say to this mountain, and I personally believe he was pointing to the Temple Mount, because that would be the mountain right across from where they were standing. Um, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Uh, Jesus looked at his disciples, uh, and he could see uh, the weakness of their faith, and I don't mean to criticize them. I'm sure their faith was a lot stronger than mine. But uh, these are the men who needed to carry on with his work. Uh, he would be crucified in a few days. Yes, he will rise from the dead, but he will then go uh, to sit at the right hand of his Father in heaven. His work on earth was done. The work would now fall on his disciples. It would be up to them to carry uh, the message. And uh, how could they do that uh, uh, staggering job? How, how could they possibly bring the gospel and bring people to God? There's uh, 12, soon to be 11 uh, bewildered uh, young men. And the only answer is with God, right? They could do it with God, but they had to have faith in God to do it, or they would give up, quit, and go back to fishing. And so Jesus is here trying to wake them up to really the power that was accessible to them through God. God wanted to use these 11 men to turn the world upside down and, and, and bring it into the kingdom of God. Uh, and so these prayer requests that they have, you know, they're kind of strange. Uh, I don't know, I don't think they ever prayed for a fig tree to die. Uh, I don't think they ever prayed for the mountain to go into the sea. At least there's no record of those prayers. But we do have record of some of their prayers uh, in the book of Acts. And uh, I, I looked at them uh, in preparation, and they seem to uh, be prayers about things that we could uh, associate with. Uh, they prayed for wisdom in selecting leadership. Uh, from the very beginning, finding a 12th apostle after uh, uh, Judas betrayed uh, the Lord Jesus. They felt we need, <laughs> we need more people to help with the work. Lord, you guide us. Uh, and, and then throughout, they prayed for wisdom for choosing deacons. They pray for their deacons. They pray for wisdom for choosing missionaries. They pray for their missionaries. They, they uh, pray for wisdom in, in appointing elders in different churches, and they pray for those elders. So praying for leadership... Uh, that was a big one. They, uh, they prayed for boldness for witness. Uh, I, I need to do that. I need to pray for boldness for me. I need to pray for 
boldness to you. Uh, if, if they needed that prayer, so do we. And, uh, and very practical, right? And God honored, he honored that prayer. And, and they went out and, and, uh, and shared, witnessed uh, in, in, in boldness, in power. They prayed for signs and wonders to be done in the name of Jesus to support their testimony. Uh, they didn't ask for healing for themselves because they wanted to be more comfortable. Uh, now, maybe they did. And maybe God honored those requests. And maybe God didn't. Like in the case of Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh and he prayed three times for it to be taken away. And the Lord says no. Right? So in that case, it wasn't something that was going to promote the work that God had for Paul to do. He wasn't going to answer. So you can't go out and pray for, to win the lottery or you know, other things that are perhaps ultimately selfish. Uh, but praying for things to happen that will enable the uh, furtherance of the kingdom of God was the kind of prayers that God was answering for the apostles. And signs and wonders were being done in the name of Jesus to further their, their ministry. And uh, that, was, that was one of the things that made their ministry so effective and so successful. Uh, they prayed for our protection. Right? Again, something practical. Uh, we don't enjoy being persecuted. Um, we have brothers and sisters around the world in difficult places. We should be praying for them, bringing them up uh, before, the, before the Lord. Uh, they prayed for deliverance uh, for Peter from jail. Uh, and God answered in such a remarkable fashion, they didn't even believe that God was answering their prayer. So just uh, an example of really God's great power. He did use those 11 men to turn the world upside down. Uh, and I believe God's power is still accessible to us today. And we have uh, the same opportunity to, to be working for the furtherance of the gospel. We still have uh, many, many in this world that do not know the Lord. And his desire is for them. They are the sweet fruit, if you would, he wants a relationship with them. He died for their souls. He rose again uh, to give them eternal life. And uh, he wants us to, to believe in God. The uh, parallel passage in Mark, uh, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. I, my faith in me is small, but my faith in God should be great, and so should yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your uh, goodness, for your clarity. We thank you for the Lord Jesus making it unmistakable to the nation of Israel, the consequence of rejecting him. And we pray for help in making it unmistakable uh, to people what the consequence will be for them if they reject Christ as the Savior. We ask for help, Lord. We recognize that we are feeble. Uh, we struggle with our faith as much, if not more than your disciples did, and yet uh, we believe, Lord, you're not done with uh, building your kingdom. You uh, therefore still have your power accessible in this world for us to, to uh, call upon, to, to bring people to yourself. So we ask that you help us in doing that. For we ask it, uh, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.